you're not getting the broad spectrum of nutrition that you really need. Your gut, your microbiome, it needs that diversity of everything in there to survive and thrive and create a healthy body. How is it possible for a parent of a child with autism to become the superhero their child needs now? I'm Len. And I'm Cass. When our son was diagnosed with moderate to severe autism, we went all in. We spent over a decade learning everything we could on how we could transform to help our son thrive. And guess what? He's doing it. This year, he ran for class president. Each week on this podcast, we will be sharing the secrets needed for you to become the superhero your child needs. If you want to learn how to tap into your innate superpowers to help your child thrive, visit AutismParentingSecrets.com. Hello and welcome to Autism Parenting Secrets. Today, our guest is Asher Cowan. He is the co-founder and the CEO of Dr. Cowan's Garden. And this is an episode all about food, the importance of food, and making it easier for parents who want to nourish their child making it easier, really having hacks to be able to nourish your child without incredible amount of extra effort, which we know everyone's busy. So this episode is important. There's nothing more important than food. And Cass and I are so excited to have Asher here to share his wisdom. And we're just so looking forward to this conversation. Welcome, Asher. Thanks for having me. Delighted to be here. Looking forward to it. Yes, so we're excited you're here. We are big fans of your product. I can I can run to my kitchen and grab some. I must say your wild ramp powder is like my absolute favorite. Um, but I, can you give a little bit of background about how Dr. Cowan's garden really came to be? Because um, I think that will be really interesting for... Yeah, absolutely. So Dr. Cowan is my dad. Uh, he's been a, a sort of alternative med- medical doctor for their about 40 years, uh, retired now and doing other things. But um, he his focus primarily was food, nutrition, natural medicine. And his big thing was studying how ancestral societies, whether it's Native Americans, uh, uh, Eskimos, um, Native people, before Western diet came in, what did they eat? What made them healthy? Why were there, why are there now so many so much more instances of disease than there were back then. And what he discovered was, uh, and this is uh, through following the work of Dr. Weston A. Price, um, is that every society had a sort of staple. They would, they, the primary uh, calories that they would consume would be in the form of fat, uh, animal fat. And they would also eat, uh, you know, nose to tail animals, and a wide variety of vegetables. Um, he he studied a, a native California tribe, and they would eat up to 120 different vegetables over the course of the year. And what what that does is it gives you a very broad spectrum of nutrition. You're getting the whole spectrum of nutrition. And um, he's been trying to get his patients to eat that way for years, and himself that way for years. And he discovered that it's really hard to do. Not only is are these types of vegetables not necessarily available in 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 stores, they're not necessarily fresh. Uh, they're not necessarily the best quality, and so he had to try to find a solution for that. And so, around the same time, he got 
uh, was introduced to a privately owned community garden where it was basically about a half acre garden that uh, it was essentially his own garden that he could do as much as he wanted to and, and eat as much uh, from there as he wanted. Uh, he had way more than what he could uh, eat himself. And around the same time he went to a restaurant, he was living in San Francisco, California at the time, that was seasoning their foods with vegetable powders. Um, and so it's, it's sort of the condensed form of the vegetable, the water's removed and the flavor is still there. And the light bulb went off. He said, I could turn what I'm growing into vegetable powders and my patients could, could then eat a much wider variety of vegetables. He told me that idea and we turned it into a business where we're essentially uh, dehydrating uh, vegetables, a wide variety of vegetables and putting them, in, making them into powders. And so a good way to think of them is like a seasoning or a spice. You use it to cook with, you use it to add to foods that you're already eating. And it's a great way to enhance the flavor, nutrition, and vegetable diversity of what you're eating. And the real important thing is the vegetable diversity because, and when we're talking about diversity, we're talking about not only the different colors, but also the parts of the plant. So you're gonna get a different spectrum of nutrition with a, a red beet versus an orange carrot and a green, uh, green leafy uh, leaf of kale. And so, our goal is to help people get the full spectrum of nutrition, giving you the, the diversity of the different colors and the different parts of the plant all in one product that's very easy to use. Which, which is amazing because if you think about it, you know, diversity is so important with the food that we eat, even the air, you know, the air that we breathe to, um, but no, from a healthy microbiome. And so our son was regressed and uh, was diagnosed with autism, you know, food, food was, has always been kind of a challenge just because we're navigating a lot of food allergies. Um, but there was a point where he limited what he was eating to like one thing. And so I, as his mom, I went back, I got certified as a health coach back in 2010. And part of the challenge was, okay, how can I have him create safety with food, but also how can I make each bite more nourishing? Right. And so I love that you guys have these powders that are bringing vegetables into a powder form that even if you have a picky eater, you could take something that they like and make it a little bit more healthy. You know, so what my son had limited to at the time was like potatoes that I would bake in the oven with like, you know, oil and sea salt, but it would have been nice, you know, 10, you know, 12 years ago to be able to sprinkle a little bit of low oxalate greens onto those potatoes just to make one step closer to making them healthy. Because what I have seen with so many kids on the spectrum is when the parent is empowered to make food changes and to make every bite more nourishing and more diverse, a lot of the behaviors that you thought were just kind of autism go away because you're not bombarding their body with you know, chemicals and other things that their body's really not meant to process. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great point. And it's, it's kind of the philosophy that I use with my children. I have a seven, four and just turned two year old. And so, you know, we, we don't have anyone on the autism spectrum, but we certainly have food challenges and uh, picky eaters. I I'm very familiar with that. And my philosophy is to try to get every 
everything that they eat as good as I can. And so, you know, uh, I used an example of pancakes often is, you know, you can, if, if you're at the level where you're buying a pancake mix from a box from a store and feeding that to your children, well, you can improve that. You could add something to that pancake mix, like a beet powder or uh, one of my favorites is a parsnip powder because it blends into everything. Parsnips are white. The powder is more or less white and it just blends into everything. They don't even know it's there. And, you know, you could debate on the ethics of that, you know, putting things into your children's food that you're not oh, telling them. I'm, oh, I'm but, all for putting stuff in kids, like, right. you, just, you know, make it more nourishing and then keep, you know, work, you keep wa- walking towards what you want for them. Right. And so, and so it's, it's, it's about taking that incremental step. So if you're, if you're at the level of buying a pancake mix from a box in the store, you can very easily improve that to to say, you know, okay, so now I now I've added vegetables to this, and now I feel a little bit better. They're getting nourishment, and and I feel better about that. And then you could then you could keep taking another step, and maybe you're using organic flour instead of the mix, and and so you're combining that yourself, and now you've taken another step to that. Uh, you can take further steps in there, where now you're grinding your own grains into your own flour. Uh, making the batch at night, putting some uh, yogurt or other uh, acid in there, like a, like lemon juice, and then fermenting that pancake mix overnight. And so that would be the sort of ultimate step that you could take, adding in, adding in healthy things like collagen or vegetable powders or something like that. And so you can, there's a lot of incremental steps that you can take in your food journey as a parent to gradually improve what your children are eating, getting them more nourished along the way. And so that's a philosophy I've taken with my children. And I think it, it's definitely served us well. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Like when I meet a mom, it's like, oh, my son will only eat waffles. And I'm like, oh my God, congratulations. That's where you start. So you get rid of the frozen, you go to like a mix, or you go to like a recipe, and then you just start adding stuff. And we, this one uh, family that we were supporting, like when she started adding, like she ed- was adding liver, she was adding all of the, ultimately yeah. where she got to, but, and every, you know, his, you know, everything changed for him, but I love it. What you were saying, it's kind of like that good, better, and best, like acknowledging where you are and just taking that one step forward to make it a little bit better. And then going from there. Um, and also you mentioned parsnips, like being that white color. That's the other thing with picky eaters. A lot of times they'll have a color preference or they might have a favorite color, you know, beet would be awesome for someone who's like into pink. And then you have the parsnip into white and you can slowly get them to build that tolerance, um, you know, into that diversity, which is that ultimate goal. Right. And I, I don't have any actual data or uh, stories about this, but I, but I, I do think that once we're introducing the, the flavor profile in the food that we're giving them, they, they, they do get sort of their taste buds get used to that flavor in there. And then when you're, then when you go to try to incorporate the actual vegetable, like an actual parsnip into what they're eating, then, then it's not such a leap for them to now eat parsnips or carrots or beets right. or kale or whatever, whatever you've been using along the way. Right. And I, I just know, I can just tell from anecdotal, like with my son, 
that was huge. So, you know, you started with whatever carrot in, well, I don't know, let's just say carrot was in carrot juice. And then you gave them real carrots and then you put carrot into like, it was that it was always that familiar taste and you're kind of building that tolerance. So it's kind of those steps to get them, you know, accustomed. And I know like with my son, he's now 15 and he's no longer a picky eater. And, you know, his plates like heaping with vegetables. And I try to add as much diversity as I can versus what's available. Um, but no, he will have these flashbacks to mem- Oh, I remember eating this, you know, years ago. And I think a lot of it is by able to have a product like yours that gives parents an alternative to kind of what they're used to, to make each bite a little bit more nourishing is such an important thing. Because when you can take out the noise that a lot of processed food will, um, cause for kids or cause for even adults. You're like, wait a second, this is what it is to nourish, not just feed, which makes such a difference. Right. Right. And I think that, um, you know, we're, we're living in a society where, uh, people are simultaneously obese and overweight, but they're also malnourished at the same time. And it's showing up in, uh, instances of disease in, uh, you know, heart issues in a variety of different ways, uh, behavioral issues as well. Um, and, and so when, when children are fed chemicals, sugar as well, I mean, that can cause significant, uh, variability in behavior. You know, you have the ups and downs of a sugar crash. You have, um, you know, just, just poor nutrition and, and poor fuel you know, food is actually, actually fuel. And we have to start thinking it of thinking it of it in that, in those terms. And if you're, if you're being given, uh, you know, poor fuel, uh, your body is not going to respond as well. You're not going to have as much energy. You're not going to be, uh, your mental faculties aren't going to be as sharp. And then the, the waste product is going to be a lot worse. And so that, shows up in disease and shows up in sickness. And so if we're uh, caring about our bodies and know that our bodies, you know, this is the only one we got, we need to be able to fuel it properly and, and have, and show the correct responses. And so when you have, when you start on this path, you, you're, you start to see results and then it compounds because once you've incorporated one thing into your diet that that is now more healthy, it's that much easier to incorporate another and to keep going in that same trajectory. And so that's what this really helps you with is it help. It's a really easy way to start on that path, start on that journey of getting better nutrition, better food. Yeah, it's so true. And because the stat that I recently heard from um, Epidemic Answers is what 54% of kids will be diagnosed with a chronic illness by the time that they're 18 now, which is just crazy. You know, one in two kids. And I know my son had three, but three diagnoses before he was two. But it's like, no, we can do better. And when you think about we pay more attention to what goes in our car sometimes, like from a gas perspective, than what goes in our body, that can be a huge, huge game changer. When you really think about you're fueling your child, you're fueling your body. Um, and there's so much importance in that. It's it's important to know the sources as well, because um, you know not only is it the you know, the sugar and the, um, 
you know, processed foods, but it's also, you know, how many chemicals are there in there? Is there glyphosate in, in the food that you're eating? You know, if, if chances are, if it's, uh, if it's a non-organic product, then chances are there is glyphosate in there and there's, you know, incredible amounts of damage that that causes for a variety of, and it shows up in a variety of different ways. Um, you know, I don't know that it's a cause of autism or anything like that, but it certainly is a contributor to many different uh, health ailments that modern society faces. Yep. Yep. That I was actually going to go there too, because I know when there is so much love and um, intention and mindfulness as it relates to your products. And especially it seems like it's when I go on the website, it's amazing to kind of read the stories about where it come from. So like a good example, my daughter wanted to have popcorn and, you know, and corn is such a genetically modified crop and, you know, it's really not much, but I was like really excited because I bought the popcorn that you have on your, um, that you guys offer. And I felt really good about, okay, if you want to try it, let's at least be really mindful about the source of the popping corn. I forget. It's like Flint popcorn or something that you all have. Yeah. And it's, it's air, it's an heirloom variety. So it's, um, so heirloom versus, you know, sort of the modern hybrids heirlooms are more nutritious in and of themselves. Number two, they're organic. So there's no harmful pesticides or chemicals sprayed on them. And number three, I mean, popcorn is one of my favorite sort of use cases for the the vegetable powders, because you can get a lot of good stuff on popcorn if your kids are going to eat popcorn and popcorn. That's a, you know, it's a popular item for kids. And so what I do is, you know, popcorn with lots and lots of butter, um, you know, high quality uh, grass fed butter is very healthy for people. Uh, Sea salt, everyone needs salt in their diet. And then you can go a variety of ways with different vegetable powders. And I've, I've never met a kid who didn't, didn't like the popcorn that I made with the different vegetable powders. And it's a great way to get pretty much any, any vegetable in you, in your kids that you want. You could go sweet with a beet or a carrot or a parsnip powder. You could go sort of like oniony garlicky with, with leek or the threefold savory blend or wild ramp. And you can go a lot of different directions with popcorn. So that's one of my favorite use cases for the vegetable powders. Now that, that's fantastic. And I know some people may be like us where tend to avoid dairy um, and, and our daughter can consume it, our son doesn't. So we just substitute the butter with some olive oil, some good olive oil, and it accomplishes the same thing. So you yep. can have a dairy-free version of that very diverse, uh, high-nutrient popcorn that you described. That's fantastic. And for yeah. those who are casein free, just use ghee, you know, yeah. Yeah. you like, there's like multiple options. So, yeah. Yeah. My, my daughter was, had a dairy allergy when she was born. Uh, we gave her butter in the beginning and uh, she developed hives and vomited and all that stuff. And we, we ended up doing a lot of ghee making. And so we made tons and tons of ghee and, um, and that was a great way to maybe, maybe that helped her get over her dairy allergy because she doesn't have it anymore. Um, but yeah, I've definitely dealt with, uh, food allergies. Uh, oldest one had a dairy, dairy and egg allergy is no longer allergic to either of those. She still has a gluten intolerance. I'm not sure that it's an actual allergy, but she's intolerant to gluten. 
Uh, the second one has an egg allergy and a coconut allergy. And I think the third one is, is, is okay. And all of them are allergic to peanuts and some tree nuts. So it, we've, we've experienced the food challenges in my household as well. Yeah. Yeah. Now in peanut, I, I, I honestly think our son has so too many to list, but I almost feel like it was the universe being like, okay, these aren't the foods that you need anyway, yeah. like for him. Um, so yeah, it, it, there, it's not fun to navigate them, but you know, it's some ways like peanuts aren't really that healthy. Um, they have high mold, high glyphosate anyway. So it's, I take it as, okay, we just avoid anyways. Um, the, I want to circle back cause there was really the, the, all the ingredients that you have, each of the different farms, there seems to be kind of the growers that you go to. A lot of them are smaller. Some of them are wild, like the wild ramps that you're getting, I believe from West Virginia, you have, you know, there's, it's not like huge, huge factory farms. These are really mindful crops. Um, I think might be a better way to phrase it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of phrasing it. Um, and so what really separates us is the sourcing of the, the sourcing and the production methodology. So I'll touch on the sourcing first. Um, we're sourcing direct from the farmer. So we're not getting, you know, when I was, when we were trying to figure out how to get our products produced, um, you know, you could call up any powder manufacturer and they'll sell you as much powder as you want. And you, trouble is you don't know exactly how old it is. You don't know if it's really organic or not. You, you know, maybe it's coming from China, who knows. Uh, but we're sourcing directly from small organic farms that are local to our production facility, which is in, in upstate New York. And that region of the country has a lot of uh, really small, high quality organic or biodynamic farms. And so organic is basically, you know, not, you know, not using pesticides and not using, uh, you know, man-made chemicals in your farming. Biodynamic takes that to an, another level where you're not allowed any inputs from outside of the farm. And so what you have to do there is you have to build your own fertility, vitality in the soil from within the farm. So they're composting their spent plants, they're composting the animal manure and bringing the fertility and vitality to the soil from within the farm. So the way that uh, one of our biodynamic farmers describes it as you're essentially building proprietary biology in the soil that's unique and native to that farm because of all the inputs and all of what they're doing to the soil. The animals, the spent plants, the compost, everything like that goes back into the soil and creates a ecosystem within that farm that over time, if, if you're a good farmer, it gets better and better and better, which means the, the, the plants, the vegetables, whatever is coming from the farm gets more and more nutrient dense as time goes on. And so those are the people that we're partnering with. We're partnering with people who farm the right way, whether it's uh, organic or biodynamic, and it's a small, usually family run farm. And uh, we do small production batches, so nothing is nothing is old. Everything is fresh, and and that's how we go about things. And I think it's very different from what else is out there. Yeah, because it seems like everyone nowadays—well, not everyone, but many people—have powder, like 
green, you know, green powder that you can throw in a smoothie and the like. And some of them are organic and seem mindful. But as Cass talks about all the time, you know, what's on the label and how they're advertising it may be very different than what's actually in it in terms yeah. of is it clean? Does it have other stuff that you don't want? Uh, so um, so the fact that you take such care in what those inputs are is it, it, I think it does distinguish, you know, what you offer. And um, and I just want to comment quickly just with the theme we started with, with diversity. I, I just can't accentuate enough how important diversity is in generally this a diet and if you're going for nourishment. Because if parents are trying to, for themselves and for their child, go for more nourishment, the first step is just, okay, let's not eat poison, right? Let's make sure it's clean. And once you're eating clean then, the trap I know I fell in, and Cass, maybe we did this a little bit um, with the kids, is then you find some clean foods to feed them, and then they're only eating the same thing over and over. So what's fantastic is if you can then, in simple ways, expand that diversity. I mean, it really, there's nothing more important than having that diversity, as you talked about, Asher. And and it's hard to do that because people don't want to be trapped in the kitchen searching for ingredients. So the fact that you've made that really easy, um, it's just, it's super exciting because you can kind of get complacent with, oh yeah, it's a clean diet, but you know, if, the, your, if your child's eating the same things over and over long-term, that's not where you're, that's not going to lead to great success. Yeah. You're not getting the broad spectrum of nutrition that you really need. Your, your gut, your microbiome, it needs that diversity of everything in there to, to survive and thrive and create a healthy body. And you, you hit the nail on the head with that. Now, Asher, what makes, so I'm assuming you also have, um, from a production perspective. So I love that you talked about kind of the source of the farms and I love biodynamic and it's like, you know, every, how are you looking at farmers striving to even go beyond, right? Um, but then like from a production perspective, what makes it unique um, for what yeah, you guys great do? great question. Yeah, so um, there are anti-nutrients oxalates present in raw form of, of, of vegetables. So vegetables are are plants that have uh predators just like everyone else and so their defense against the predators are to release chemicals that the predators don't like and you know these are insects and those types of things and so in raw form some of these can be harmful like uh, too many oxalates can cause kidney stones and have other uh, negative health impacts on you. So what we're doing is we're getting the vegetables to the place where they should be. Eaten. So nobody eats butternut squash raw. Nobody eats, um, you know, well, people do eat raw kale salads, but you should, you should cook your, or blanch your kale. Uh, because what that does is it cooks, cooks off the anti-nutrients, oxalates, goitrogens that are present in raw form and, uh, gets it to a state where it should be eaten. And then we're sort of stopping that process right there, freezing it in time. And that's the product that you're getting. And a good way to test that out for yourself is uh, take a take a piece of kale and, and eat it. And it'll be a little bit earthy and bitter. Now, if you blanch that kale, meaning boil it in water for about a minute or so, it'll be a the, the color will be a, a brighter and more vibrant green. The bitterness will be cooked off 
the earthiness will be a little bit cooked off and it'll be a little bit more uh, sweet to taste. And so that's how you know the color, the taste, the smell. That's how you know that you're that that is when you should be eating it because our taste buds have developed over time to to like things when they should be eaten if they're not damaged by too much sugar and all the rest of it. And so that's where we get the vegetables and that's the product that we're delivering to people. So we stop it in time once we've gotten it to the place where it should be eaten. And there you go. Nice. Yeah. And uh, I made I made kale this morning, so I blanched it exactly like you said. So I'm like, woohoo, I got a few points today. Um, but no, it's amazing that you guys are that mindful to think about it because I think a lot of places like hey, let's just process this, whatever, and not pay attention to where should what is that place, how should this ingredient actually be consumed? Right. What's the ideal state? And right. too often it's like, you know, high heat dehydration, you know, dry it as fast as you can. That kills off the nutrients, uh, the, the nutrients that are good for you. It doesn't necessarily get rid of the bad stuff and it's not as good a flavor. And you can tell that by tasting it, smelling it and, and looking at the color. Yep. And, and you mentioned oxalates, which are a pretty big issue as well, where, you know, if you're a parent and you're trying to do special diets to find what's right for your child, oftentimes, and especially if you do testing, oxalates, high oxalates pop up. And from an inflammation perspective and just overall GI health, you know, having a low oxalate diet is a, a path that many parents take. And at the same time, especially in our community, particularly with children on uh, on the spectrum, a lot of them also may have uh, an MTHFR, a gene, you know, they're poor methylators. So there may be a, a, a genetic susceptibility to um, having this condition, which really one way to address it is to eat more greens. So some of our children, I know I, I have this MTHFR, a, a double mutation. It just means that I'm a, a slower or a poorer methylator. So I know I need more greens in my diet, but at the same time, I don't want to then consume an excessive amount of oxalates. So your low oxalate powder is kind of a godsend where you can get the benefits of greens, which nobody's going to dispute that more leafy green vegetables are a positive thing for every person on the planet. Um, but to not have any downside, particularly if your unique way that you're set up means that oxalates and an excessive amount of greens might cause problems um, down the road. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I haven't necessarily heard stories from uh, parents of uh, children with autism, but we have heard stories of people who have had dealt with kidney stones or other similar issues and have had to cut out leafy greens from their diet because of the oxalate load, but they can now introduce them back in into their diet because of the low oxalate greens powder. And so, um, like you said, you know, it's almost, there's almost no diet in the world that wouldn't say that, uh, leafy greens are, aren't a, you know, healthy part of a good diet. Um, and so this is a way to incorporate them back into your diet or just add more to what you're already doing um, without the negative impact of the oxalates. Well, and they also let you have diversity. So if you do yeah. low 
low oxalate greens one day, you can do a different one the next day and kind of have a rotation to it too. Um, Because I think Len, a big, a big trap that a lot of parents fall into are like, okay, you know, I know I need to have greens. Okay. My kid eats spinach, but then they give them spinach seven days out of the week. And no wonder why oxalates become a big challenge, you know, because every parent in their heart wants to do the best that they can. And it's like, okay, giving them new tools to kind of help them navigate this, you know, is truly such a gift. Your products are stored in these beautiful black, or is it like a purple glass? It's like a deep violet. Okay, deep violet. Look at them up to the light. You'll see that they're like a deep violet, I guess. Was that, I mean, a lot just to basically make it so light can't, like I was just a little history behind how that exact shade or what was the meaning. And I know glass from a toxins perspective, but I just wanted a little bit of background there. Yeah. So there's actually a a cool story with this. Um, These, the mirror and glass jars. um, And so what they do is they, they block all the wavelengths of light except the UVA wavelength. And so UVA actually has uh, sort of regenerative and restorative properties to it. And, and, and the theory is that things that are inside the jar that are, that are uh, hit by light will actually improve over time in their uh, potency and um, uh, sort of nutrition. And so we did a test on our, and you can see it on our website where we put a tomato in a regular glass jar in a tomato picked at the same day from the same branch of the same tomato plant uh, in a mirror jar left out on the counter. And literally six months later, you can eat the tomato that was in the mirror jar and the one in the glass jar, it was all rotted and disgusting. You would definitely not want to eat that. Um, and so it, it just proved that these jars really do preserve what's inside them. And, um, it's the way to get the best product. So we also sell refill pouches. We call them refill pouches. You don't have to buy the jars first and then buy a refill pouch, but this is the way to get the best product. If is, you know, they're stored in these glass jars, so they're not touching plastic or anything like that. And, you know, they last a long time. Oh my God. I love that story. And now I'm just trying to rethink the placement of the jars that I have in my kitchen. Like, is it better to actually leave them out or actually like, you know, because right now they're just in a cabinet. Like, I'm just wondering with this glass of what you say is true. Like, am I storing them wrong? Um, well, you don't necessarily have to store them out on the counter. I do. I have a spice rack similar to the one over on my shoulder right there out on my counter. So they do, they are subject to light. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, the, the proof was in the pudding for that, for, for us, when we saw how long a tomato lasted after it was six months, I mean, six months with the tomato, the only difference is, was the jar. They were both left out on the counter and you could literally eat the one, uh, left in the mirror jar six months later. Oh my God, you need to make a mirror jar for like avocado, half avocado. (laughs) Well, yeah, we actually, we actually just started selling uh, some more sizes of them. So people can actually buy mirror jars from our, from our site. And we'll put up a link to um, um, Dr. Cowan's garden down below in the show notes. It's it's such an important conversation to have to give parents tools to kind of make 
every bite more nourishing um, and more diverse. Yeah, and we're all starting where we're starting from. You know, there's 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 no shame or judgment in that. We 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 have everyone has a food journey, and the important thing is is you can take steps to improve what you're what you and your children are eating. And this is a really easy way to take that first step and to say, you know, okay, so here's what they will eat. How can I make this better? How can I make it a little bit more nutritious? And this is what uh, I think we help with. And it's really easy. It's it's literally just taking out a teaspoon and, and putting it in things that your children will already eat. And so um, happy to share that with with you and your and your uh, listeners. Thanks. Fantastic. I saw a new that you just came out with a ghee and I was yes. all excited to buy it just because I want to taste test it with our the other ghee that we have. And then yeah. you're out of stock already. Yes. Um, so like <laughs> that's congratulations. But <laughs> we should um, be getting more soon. It's as far as I know, one of one of, if not the only certified A2A2 ghee. So if you're not familiar with uh, A2, so Cows are either A1 or A2. A1 cows have a protein in them that shows up in the milk that makes it difficult for us to digest. The A2 cows don't have that protein, and therefore it's a much more easily digestible milk, which butter, which makes ghee. And so this is certified A2, A2 ghee from cows that are, you know, it's on a farm that, you know, it's small enough where they name the cows. They're all pasture raised, grass fed, all that stuff. Um, and, and it's, I would argue it's probably one of the best, if not the best ghee that you can buy. Okay. Well, I'm excited for when it comes back in stock. Awesome. It's should be produced next week. And so two, two weeks, two okay. to three weeks from now. Okay. So yeah. Perfect. Fantastic. Well, um, I'll just make a quick comment and a final question for you, Asher. One, the comment is if anybody does uh, want to go purchase, the, the code to use is Warrior Parent. So Warrior Parent, all one word, 20% off, I think, your vegetable powders. But my question for you is, adding the powder, is there any do not do's? Like, in other words, would you not want to heat, like cook with the powder and, heat, and cook it at a high you know, high temperature, maybe instead adding it at the end, or, you know, is it something you wouldn't want to blend in a smoothie for two minutes, maybe just add it toward the end? Any, any suggestions from that standpoint? Yeah. So that, that's a, that's a great question. And, and one of the things of, or one of the reasons why we believe our powders are really nutrient dense is the low heat dehydration. And so that, uh, the low heat preserves the nutrients. And so, uh, if you're cooking them for a long time, theoretically, that would kill off the nutrients. So what I do is I, I add them towards the end. I add them towards the end of cooking or, you know, as, you know, you know, uh, people are adding Parmesan cheese or, or salt when they've already plated their meal. So oftentimes I add the powders then. Uh, as far as blending them in a smoothie, you know, if the smoothie isn't getting too hot, which probably wouldn't be the case in, in many cases, then, you know, blending it up shouldn't make a difference. I mean, they've been blended and grounded into powders, but I do, I do tend to add it towards the end of cooking or when the, when the food is already on my plate. So that's, that's what great. I do. Great. No, that's, that's very helpful. Can I ask one more question? Sure. Um, 
So as an allergy mom who has a kid whose eggs, dairy, milk, seeds, nuts, peanuts, whatever, it goes on and on. Um, there, I don't see an allergy statement on your products at all. So that's where I was just curious if from the powders perspective, if there was an allergy parent doing their due diligence, is there any um, concerns for cross-contamination? Um, the, the facility is a gluten-free, um, dairy-free, nut-free, meat-free facility. So okay. nothing like that will is even goes into the facility. They, they pack, um, a variety of things, uh, but none of them has it have any of those, uh, things. It's, it's mostly just dried vegetables and, and powders and mixes and those types of things, but none of them have gluten. So they are gluten-free. Okay, cool. Okay. Well, Hey, we're so appreciative that you took the time to talk with us this morning. This has been very enlightening. And I just want to pause to say, hey, everyone I've dealt with at your company at Dr. Cowan's Garden has been just a delight, people who really care about what they do. So just a big yeah. shout out to them and to you for for doing this work. And also to your to your father, Dr. Tom Cowan, who truly is one of the few voices of reason and sanity and inspiration out there. So um, just we couldn't be more grateful for what your entire family is doing and we are cheering you on and just so excited that you decided to take some time to share your perspective with our audience. So thank you very much. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for having me. And yes, we do have a great team. Uh, everyone, it, it, it's more than it's more than a job for 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 these people. Um, you know, they're, they're part of a mission. They care about what they do and it shows up in every aspect of what we're doing, whether it's the product or the customer service or anything like that, it, it really shows up that these people care. And, um, you know, that that's what it's all about for us. Want to learn how to avoid the 33 mistakes most autism parents make? Get your free training today. Visit autismparentingsecrets.com slash unstoppable.